It was not there. I looked. It was not there. Over the last uh, several weeks, my wife, Barb, has been staying the night over at her mother's house because she had knee replacement surgery and needed someone to be uh, with her. Uh, Some of the neighbors might be questioning the state of our marriage right now. Uh, They see Barb going out with a suitcase. (laughs) Then when she's coming to the house to get a few things is when I'm not home because I'm at work. And then they see me arriving by myself in the evening. And then I leave shortly after that and come back alone later in the evening. So if you live in our neighborhood, everything's fine. I want to make that clear to you. Well, she's back home now, but while she was over at her mother's, she had a suitcase with stuff in it. She brought that home. We left it in the downstairs bedroom. And so it was evening the other night, and there was something that she said was in that suitcase that she needed, and she wanted me to go down and get it for her. So I gladly did that. Now, I went to the room. The suitcase was open. I went through everything in that suitcase. It was not there. Now, why she sent me, I'm really not sure. Because she's convinced that I have a disability that other husbands have as well, that we can find nothing unless it's right in front of us, eye level. I see I'm not the only one with this disability. But I was certain it was not there. It was not in that suitcase. So I went upstairs and said, Barb, do you have some other idea where it may be? It's not in the suitcase. She says, yes, it is. And she says, I'll just go down and get it. So she goes down, and this time I'm following her down because she's going to see it's not in the suitcase, because I searched every inch of that suitcase. She goes down, it's laying open, she flips over the top and unzips a compartment on the front of the suitcase, and there it was in the suitcase. See, I never thought to flip the top over that it might be. I am looking for it, but it was there, but I didn't see it. I couldn't find it. Nicodemus is a man who knew the scriptures. And Nicodemus was someone who was looking for the Christ, looking for Messiah. And there he is, right in front of Nicodemus. But he can't see it. He doesn't see it. So Nicodemus comes to visit Jesus. And as we look at this passage, great passage here in John chapter 3, we're going to look at it through very angles. We're going to start by looking at it through the angle or the lens of the men. We have Nicodemus and we have Jesus. So let's start by looking at Nicodemus. The name Nicodemus is a Greek name. So many commentators believe because it is a Greek name that he has rather than a Jewish name that that indicates that he is coming from a highly educated family and that Nicodemus himself was highly educated. 
We're told right away in the passage in verse 1 that there was a man of the Pharisees. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. We've talked about the Pharisees many times before. The Pharisees were religious conservatives. We would find many things that we would agree with the Pharisees on. They believed in the supernatural. They believed in miracles. They believed in angels, all which the Sadducees deny another religious group in Israel. So he is a religious conservative. The problem is that Pharisees follow rules but miss the purpose behind the rules. The Pharisees, in their desire to please God, begin to come up with other rules to keep them pleasing God. For instance, and the example that often comes up in the Scriptures in a confrontation between Jesus and the Pharisees is about what Jesus does on the Sabbath day. The Pharisees wanted to keep the Sabbath, and they were not to work on the Sabbath, so they made up rules to make sure they didn't work on the Sabbath. They had it down to how many steps you could take on the Sabbath day without working because you had gone too far. They had rules for the ladies as far as what they could do, as far as sewing is concerned. Uh, you couldn't thread a needle on the Sabbath day because that would be work. I could never thread a needle anyway, so, so I don't have to worry about it. The, the word Pharisee itself means to be separated. And they stood as the self-righteous people of the day. You remember Jesus told his disciples once that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees, you'll not be able to go into the kingdom of heaven. And their idea was, who can exceed them in the keeping of rules? But it's not about keeping rules. The Pharisees were focusing on preserving, interpreting, and defending with religious law, which they wanted to legalistically force upon everyone in Israel. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. But he's just not any Pharisee. We're told in verse 1 that he is a ruler of the Jews. That refers to the fact that he's a member of the Sanhedrin. The Jewish people had a religious ruling body made up of 70 men who they had authority religiously over Jews wherever they lived in the world. Nicodemus is one of those 70 men. We're told in verse 2 in our passage that Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. Now, there's a lot of debate and a lot of ideas as to why he came at night. And we can't be dogmatic as to why he came at night, but it is important, it seems, that he did come at night. 
Because Nicodemus is mentioned after John chapter 3 two other times in the Scriptures, both of them in the Gospel of John, and both of them refer to this meeting that Nicodemus had with Jesus. Why did he come at night? Well, it may have been he didn't want to be seen coming to Jesus. That makes a lot of sense because, as we know, the religious leaders were all opposed to Jesus. And he wouldn't want to be seen coming to him just alone. Also, he doesn't want it to be perceived that in any way that he is one of the followers of this Jesus. It may be as well that the reason and emphasis is put on the fact that Nicodemus comes at night may be the imagery that John uses throughout his writing, that he's comparing the difference between night and day, the difference between darkness and light. And so that may have been the reason. Can't dogmatically say, but personally I think it's probably all of those wrapped together, that that is why he comes and he may have come at night as well so that he could have uninterrupted time with Jesus to ask his questions privately. But he meets privately with Jesus at night. The next thing that I see in the passage is that Nicodemus has a certain amount of respect for Jesus. Notice in uh, verse 2... It tells us, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi. He calls him a teacher. That's what the word rabbi means, teacher. Nicodemus himself, as we're going to see in a moment, is a teacher. But he refers to Jesus as a teacher. And he says, we know that you are a teacher come from God. Because no one can do the things that you are doing. So he shows Jesus an amount of respect. But the next thing I want you to see is he doesn't understand Jesus. And Jesus will talk to him, and we'll look at that in a few moments. Nicodemus doesn't get it. Look in verse 4. In verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Jesus had told him he needed to be born again. Nicodemus, how's this possible? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Verse 9, how can these things be? Verse 10, Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things. Jesus talks with him, but Nicodemus doesn't get it. And you know, it's possible that there are people here in our service this morning that right now you're wondering, what's this crazy guy talking about here this morning? This makes no sense to me. Or maybe you've been attending for a while and as you've been attending week after week, you just 
you don't understand. You don't know why you keep coming back, but you do keep coming back. And as you come back, it's just like, I, I don't get it. I don't get it. I want to get it, but I just cannot grasp it. It's because these things are spiritually discerned, not just with our natural minds. Nicodemus doesn't get it. He doesn't understand Jesus. The next thing that I want us to see about Nicodemus is he is the teacher of Israel. Look at that in verse 10. Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel? When Nicodemus came to Jesus, he says to Jesus, we know that you are a teacher. But here the definite article is implying that Nicodemus is one of the leading teachers in Israel and probably the most prominent teacher in Israel. He is known for his ability to interpret and share the Old Testament scriptures. He is one who is sitting with the Sanhedrin as well in the seat of Moses being a representative of God to the people. He is the teacher of Israel. Well, that's Nicodemus. Now let's consider Jesus. First of all, I want us to see the context of this passage. You know, many times the chapter and verse divisions are very helpful for us as we're studying the Bible. But sometimes they may get in the way of us truly understanding what is going on. Remember, there were no, the, the, as the scriptures were written, they didn't start chapter one, verse one. All of those were added later to help us. And it, it, it indeed is a help to all of us, isn't it? If I were to say to you, hey, take your Bibles this morning and turn to the place where Jesus talks to Nicodemus, how long would it take some of you to get there with no chapter or verse divisions? But here we find it. Look in verse 23 of chapter 2. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and indeed needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Now, there was a man. Don't miss that. Jesus knows what's inside of man. He knows Nicodemus better than Nicodemus knows himself. He knows what's inside of man. Now Nicodemus, a man, comes to Jesus. Let's start with that very name in our observation. Jesus. The word means Savior. Nicodemus is meeting with a Savior. 
Remember the angel proclaimed, you shall call his name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. Nicodemus is talking to the Savior. Nicodemus is talking to the teacher. Nicodemus has the role of the teacher of Israel. But there is a teacher greater than the teacher of Israel. There is a teacher who is omniscient, who knows all things. And that's the teacher that Nicodemus is about to learn from. He's meeting with Jesus. Jesus, the one who performs signs and miracles. See, leading into this, the very reason that Nicodemus is there is because he's puzzled about Jesus. He says, we know that you are someone that comes from God because no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. Remember, Jesus did signs and miracles so that he could show the people that he was the Christ, the promised Messiah. And Nicodemus is conflicted. The teacher of Israel, Nicodemus, is meeting the great teacher. And the reason he's there is all of Jerusalem is in an uproar about this man named Jesus. The people are drawn to him. The people flock to hear him. The leaders of Israel turn their back on him. He's a threat to them and their power and their authority. They don't know what to do with him. And when Nicodemus says, we know that you must have come from God, we don't know whether he's speaking just for himself, whether he's speaking for the Sanhedrin, or whether he's just saying, well, it's generally acknowledged that you are a teacher come from God. That is probably the case. It's just generally acknowledged by the people because the Sanhedrin are not going to follow Jesus. These rulers of the Jews are going to be the ones who make the decision that Jesus must die. Jesus performs signs. And while many in Jerusalem and the surrounding areas are believing in him, not the religious leaders of the day. The next thing that I want us to see about Jesus is that he is the son of man. Look over in verse 13. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of man. This terminology, the Son of Man, is used 88 times in the New Testament. Uh, the Son of Man is the primary title by which Jesus would refer to himself. This term, Son of Man, is something that stresses the humanity of Jesus. Jesus is 100% man. 100%. He was born, he had flesh and blood just as we have. He is 100% man. Yet this 
terminology, son of man, to the Jews would be something that was very well known. Ezekiel referred to himself throughout his book, and Ezekiel is referred to by God by that term, son of man, just stressing, you are a human being. But there is also a prophecy in Daniel chapter 7 that talks about the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. Something that is yet to occur in the future. But the Son of Man coming from heaven. And see, Jesus is trying to catch his attention there a little bit by what he says when he says, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven. He's saying, I am the Son of Man. And this would puzzle Nicodemus and give him something to think about in the days ahead. But there's something else we need to see about Jesus. Not only is he the Son of Man, but he is also the Son of God. 100% human, 100% deity. He is the God man. He's not part man and part God. He's 100% man. He's 100% God. You say, explain that to me. I can't. I don't fully understand how this all works together. And as I study the life of, of Jesus, where I see flashes of his humanity, where he's, he's weeping, and I see flashes of his deity when he speaks to the wind and the waves and says, peace be still. Or when he calls Lazarus forth from the tomb and says, Lazarus, come forth. We see both there. And if you want an understanding of it, I can't help you. What I can tell you is, it is true. And I believe it. And I accept it by faith because that's what the Word of God proclaims. He's the Son of God. Verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Now the Jews understood clearly when Jesus would talk about being the son of God, what he meant by that. He meant that he was of the very essence of God. He meant that he was equal with God. He meant that he was God. Amen. And that is why they wanted to put him to death because he claimed to be God. Well, let's take a moment now and let's look at the conversation that takes place between uh, these two individuals, between Jesus and Nicodemus. Now, as you will look through the passage, three times in the passage, verse 3, verse 5, and verse 11, you will find the words, truly, truly. Or if you have an, another translation of the Bible, it may be, verily, verily, I say to you. That word actually means amen. It's actually the same word for amen. And what it means is it is so. If you're looking 
at something in the future that you're saying amen to. You're saying, let it be. So as we say amen to various things, as we worship together, make sure that what you're amening is something that you want to see happen in the future, because that's what the word itself means. And it's important for us to recognize that Jesus uses the term uh, verily or truly 101 times in the four Gospels. And whenever you see one of those terms, you need to stop because what is about to be said is very important. And when he uses the term together, he uses it twice, it is very important for us to look at what he's saying. In verses 3 to 7, he's going to talk about being born again. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, verse 3, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The word born again can also be translated born from above. But if you're born from above, as all Christians are, you have been born a second time. You've been born twice. So Jesus says, Nicodemus, you have to be born again. You need to be born a second time. Nicodemus, this is something that shocks him because the Jews of the day assumed that all Jews would be going into God's kingdom. I found it interesting. Uh, there is an ancient uh, legend that the Jews believed that Abraham stood around the entrance into hell to make sure that no Jewish person accidentally wandered into hell. So sure were they that racially, if you were a Jew, you would be saved, because after all, they were God's chosen people. But Jesus throws that all out the window and said, you've got to be born a second time doesn't matter what race you are. See, friends, we need to remember all races were created by God. And discrimination is something that should not exist. It shouldn't exist in our country, and it should not exist in the house of God. But you have to be born into a second family if you're going to have eternal life. Jesus will talk to him in verse 8 about the wind. The wind blows wherever it was. You don't see the wind. You see the results of the wind, however. So it is with the Spirit of God that we don't see the Spirit of God, but we see the results of the Spirit of God working and of what he's Friends, I believe in the last week, I've seen the results of the Spirit of God working through the generous giving that has happened from this ministry to help brothers and sisters on the other side of the world that we've never met and may never meet this side of heaven, but we're still all a part of the same family. 
And praise God for your willingness to let the Spirit of God move in your heart. We can't see it, but we certainly can see the results. And when we get to heaven, we're going to see many more of the results that happen from your faithful giving to God. Nicodemus, you're not going to understand all of this. You're going to have to accept it by faith because it's just like the wind. And then Jesus gives an object lesson. The serpent. Look at that in verse 14. As the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness. He's giving an object lesson to Nicodemus. One that Nicodemus would know all about. It's from Numbers chapter 21. People of Israel disobedient to God. He sends fiery serpents that bites them and they're dying. Of course, they go to Moses. Moses prays and God says, make a bronze serpent. Put it on a pole. Put it in the center of the camp. And whoever looks up on that serpent, their life will be spared. They will be saved. Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And whoever looks to the cross and believes will be saved. Nicodemus is just like what you teach about in the book of Numbers. The Son of Man is going to have to be lifted up. And then he talks about eternal life. For God so loved the world. There was a novel thought that the Jews would have trouble with. They believed God loved Israel, but not necessarily the rest of the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him. A universal offer of salvation Salvation that will go beyond the borders of Israel to all the world. That to whoever will come, whoever will put their faith in Jesus, they will have eternal life. That was their conversation. Now what do we do with all of this? I've got to wrap it up quickly here this morning. Number one, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Have you believed in him? It's not about how much you know religiously. It's about whether or not you know Jesus. Have you come to Jesus? And then for all of us that know him, for us to recognize and for us to appreciate what it took for us to be saved, what it means. And I I could, could preach on the lifting of the Son of Man up over and over again, but time fails me this morning. But we need to appreciate what that is talked about when Jesus was lifted up and what great love he showed to you and he showed to me. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, Jesus is not far from you. Jesus wants to come and commune with you. And if you will believe in him, if you will call on his name, you will be saved. See, that's ultimately what will happen with Nicodemus. 
Because after Jesus dies on the cross, you may remember that he was buried in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. But who was it that brought the spices that they placed upon the body of Jesus? None other than Nicodemus, a transformed man who comes to believe. And the same thing can be true of you if you'll only believe. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of your word. We pray, Father, that you will just speak to each of our hearts and draw us to you. May we love you more. And may we share this truth with a world that is dying without Jesus. For this we pray in his name. Amen.